Well, good morning. My name is Jason Haig. I'm the associate pastor of Christ Center Church, 530 West 7th, Junction City, Oregon. And I believe in Jesus the Messiah. I believe he was born of a virgin under the light of a bright star that was on special assignment. I believe there was a choir of angels that sang his birth announcement in the skies. I believe that he grew up in a small corner of a great empire in a nation that was teetering on revolt. I believe he was confronted with the same allures of greed, of lust, of pride, theft, and rage that I am today, but he never once succumbed. I believe he knew his father in heaven, that he heard his father's voice and he felt his spirit. I believe he did miracles that looked like magic. I believe he made dead men peer out of their graves. I believe he was betrayed by his friends and condemned to die. I believe his heart stopped beating on a cross that was intended for a violent criminal. And I believe that after three days of bodily death, his spirit woke again inside of his body. Yes, friends, I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. History is clear, see, there really was a man named Jesus. Really, it's pretty well documented. He walked around and he, he taught and people flocked to him. They either loved him or hated them, but they, didn't, they, they weren't neutral about him. And he made a mess of the religious landscape. Nobody knew what to do with him. Anyone who had power was jealous. Anyone who didn't have power was liberated by what he said and what they saw from him. It's really true. He really was arrested. He really was betrayed. And he, he really was killed on a tree. We reflected on this extensively on Friday night. Um, and then again this morning with that first song. Um, I was going to embarrass my wife. Isn't my wife like insanely cool? That was... She's not... Oh, there she is. Ah, there she is. Yeah. Because she loves so much being the center of attention. She, she's a, she used to be a, a professional interpreter, and um, she was always the student's favorite because she's so dramatic. She's, if you ever, like, peek your head in and see what she does with the kids in there, this is why the kids love her, because she's like a human cartoon. So when she signs, it's always gorgeous. So... Um, we, we reflected a lot on the cross um, in many, many different uh, art forms, and it just let it soak in. I, I think that's probably one reason why everybody just feels so relieved and exuberant this morning, because we really took time to remember his sacrifice, and it makes it all the sweeter when you get to Sunday morning. Um, there are so many beautiful uh, uh, pictures, even in scripture, of the sacrifice of Jesus. I love this um, particular verse here. Um, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood. I was thinking about that word redemption and how today um, it's, it's thought of just as, well, pretty much just used in churchy senses, you know. And people will say, well, I have redemption. Are you, are you redeemed by the blood? Or, you know, these kinds of things. And people were like, well, I don't really know what that means. Except in one other 
uh, arena except when you're talking about sports. Now, for example, it's the fourth quarter, a quarterback throws an interception. Now, I'm very familiar with this because I'm a Cowboys fan. So, quarterback <laughs> throws an interception. Now, they get the ball back, and what does he do? He pulls some rabbit out of a hat and throws a touchdown pass. And what do they say? What do the commentators say? He redeemed himself, right? He redeemed himself. So, other than that, other than church or sports or you know, a movie about Andy Dufresne breaking out of prison, <laughs> spoiler alert, um, you're not going to hear that word, um, redemption, very often. But uh, in the Old Testament, uh, specific or biblical times, Jewish culture, it actually had a very, uh, it wasn't like a religious word. It was a very tangible cultural word. It had a real specific meaning, and everybody knew what it was. Unlike redemption today, when it says something sort of maybe related to Jesus or not. What it meant, it, 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 very, very cultural uh, in context. So let me, let me give you a, a, an example here from Scripture. You've got this poor young lady named Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner. She had married uh, an Israelite, and he had died. Uh, and his brother had died, too. Now, this was a big problem. Because now she was not only a widow, she was a foreign widow. And instead of going back to her home, her mother-in-law is saying, you need to go back to your home because there's nothing for you. There is no provision for you. There's no protection for you with me. You need to go home. But she insists on going back anyway. So she goes back to Israel. And they are in a real predicament here. Because she has no legal rights. And she has no legal protection. And she has no legal provision. You see, the... the, the uh, uh, in, in ancient days, we, we didn't, nothing, we didn't have this governmental structure uh, of, of taking care of people. It was all done in, in families. Uh, so it was, it was a patriarchal society. So if you, this is especially true uh, with, with women, because the widow thing is such a stark example. If you are uh, somehow left outside of the family circle, you are really in trouble. And that's what would happen with widows. If widows were left alone, they no longer had the protection of their husband. They no longer had land rights at all because their husband was dead and, and women were not valued as much. So here's poor Ruth left on the outside with no means of providing for herself, with no future, with no means of protection, nothing. Now, there was provision for this in the law. If uh, a husband died, then the wife was actually to marry the next brother in line. Now, if there was no brother, you would go to the cousin. Now, that seems really strange and scary for those of you who are married to somebody and you don't particularly think you would like to be married to the brother-in-law. It really was a loving thing because we, we want to make sure that she stays in the protection of the clan. That was the idea. So here's Ruth with none of that at her disposal. So she goes back to Israel, and she has nothing. She has nothing. The only way she can even eat is going and gleaning in the fields. And then she discovers that she has a relative, distant cousin or something. And she comes to him and she says, I want you to redeem me. This had a very specific meaning. Here's what it meant. I want you to pay to bring me back into the family. I need the protection. I need the provision of the family. And right now I have nothing. It will be costly to you, but I'm asking, will you do this? Now, the reason it was costly in most cases is because the guy probably had a mortgage and a car and a computer that he put on the credit card, okay? He's got debts. He's got things that are left unresolved. 
And so if you're going to redeem her, what you have to do is, is you're taking on that debt yourself. And you're also now taking on more because now you've got another mouth to feed, etc. And you might not even like her. You know what I mean? So it's a costly thing. They don't know each other very well. They flirted a little bit in the field, and you know. But it's like, ooh, that's still a big deal. But he does. He says, yes, Ruth, I will. Now, the scholar uh, Sandra Richter sums this whole scene up beautifully. Um, she says, the tribal law of redemption had to do with a patriarch rescuing a family member who, due to crippling life circumstances, had been lost in the, uh, to the kinship circle to protect their legal rights. The law demanded that the patriarch protect the individual's legal rights and resolve her debts. The book of Ruth, or the, the Ruth and Boaz story is a, a, a reconciliation of family ties that, cro- that costs the redeemer. Do you see it? Do you see the picture? Okay, so the Redeemer, it costs him something, but she's brought in and rescued. That is what redemption is. Today, we've forgotten the familial nature of redemption. And I think we've settled for statements like, Jesus died for your sins. Now, that's a true statement. Jesus died for your sins. But depending on depending on what you mean, you could end up in a really weird place and come away with a very incomplete and even uh, inconsistent picture of who he is. Let me show you specifically, uh, I'm talking about with the word for. Jesus died for your sins. There's a semantic range for this word, and depending on how you say it, it could mean totally different things. Uh, For example, it could mean that he took your place, that he died for your sins, that he died, uh, like he switched places with you. He died for you, like instead of you. Or it could mean this, he died for your sins. Okay, can I have the sins? Okay, here's my blood. I'm going to give you this for this, a transaction. Do you see the difference? One's a transaction, one is a, a, a switching of places. I... I understand where people come from when they talk about the transaction, but I actually don't believe that's quite right. I don't think this was a transaction. Some believe that every drop of blood was perfectly somehow measured with all the sin, past, present, and future, that humanity would commit. And I don't think that's quite true. Again, I know where people are coming from, but I don't think that's quite true. I think it's close to the truth, but it's not quite there. Let me explain. Suppose Jesus died to buy our sins, because that's really what we're talking about, transaction. He, he, he dies to buy your sins. My next question is, okay, what now? What happens now? I mean, you can ask even the question of payment and where does that go, and it gets kind of goes in weird directions, but what happens now? Suppose your sins are gone. Suppose even the punishment for your sins are gone. Jesus died, and now I'm off the hook because he took my place. And also, he even took the sins themselves, and that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. My only question is, what happens now? Uh, I think because we have transactional kind of language and thought on this, um, this isn't quite answered. For example, I I heard one man, David Ravenhill, giving the example and, and imagining, thinking, what if, what if you went to heaven, you found out that Jesus had a sin collection, Here's the great betrayal of Judas right here. That's the kiss, actually. Do you want to see it? Do you want to hold it? Huh? Interesting, huh? Oh, do you, have, do you have the apostle Paul holding the coats of Stephen? Do you? Can I see that? Like, does he collect them? 
What does he do with the sin? Why does he want sin? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here and think, tell you this. I don't think he wants your sin. He could put it up on the mantle. And he'd have some good ones for me, I'm telling you. <laughs> he could hang it up. He'd go, oh, do you want to see? I have a whole gallery just for that guy right there. I mean, it's impressive. I don't think he did, though. I really don't. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's up there and he's taking all kinds of sin pictures and he has his own Instagram gallery, hashtag, hashtag vice swag. You know, he's got, he's got like all these things that are just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that he does. I don't think he wants your sin, friends. I just don't. I don't think he died for them, like to get them. I don't think he ever paid for those things. Now, here's what happens if he just took our sins. Now, this is, I, I thought this was a funny example. Um, here we go. It's 2014, and it's the very beginning of 2014. And do you know who's most happy? Fitness guys. Not, not fitness guys themselves, but guys who are in the fitness business. Um, there's a man named Patrick Strait. Um, He's a spokesman for a, a company called uh, Snap Fitness. Anybody know Snap Fitness? I don't know Snap Fitness, but anyway. Uh, they're all over the place in the U.S., I guess. And uh, he was interviewed on January 2nd, and he said, by this time last year, we had 100,000 new signups <laughs> in the first few days of January. 100,000 new signups. He said that was 15% of our entire year. Isn't that fascinating? Now, here's, here's the report. The report is this. You try to go to Snap Fitness uh, January 2nd, good luck finding a treadmill. You're going to have to wait in line a long time. You go in February, the line is waning a little bit. You go in March, there's a whole bunch that are available. <laughs> Do you know why? Because we tend to go back. <laughs> you know, we try to make resolution. This time it's going to be different. It's going to be different. I'm having a fresh start. Ah, you pull out the fresh new calendar and, ooh, mountains, mountain lakes. Ah, just breathe in. Breathe in the freshness and the newness. Ah, it's going to be different. And you hang it up there and you look at it. But here's the thing. By March, you're realizing, okay, a fresh start in and of itself is not all that awesome. In fact, sometimes it's downright depressing. Because really what you're doing is going back to square one. If Jesus just took your sins away in his museum and collection, you know what's going to happen? They're just going to come back. If that's all he did is leave you there, okay, uh, you know, he's, he's like the trash guy coming on Tuesday morning. Is this it? Wait, didn't, didn't, wasn't there some lust in there? Oh, it's in the Okay, we got it. All right, thank you. And they take the trash away. Now, what's going to happen the next week? It's going to be there again. But, but he took my sins. I know, but you just committed new ones. you got a problem now. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is more than a garbage man, guys. He doesn't care about keeping your sins or, or that. It's something much more valuable. He's playing the long game here. Jesus Christ did not buy your sins with his death. He bought you. 
Should I say it again? Maybe I'll say it again. (laughs) Jesus Christ did not buy your sins with his death. He bought you. Can you see the slight difference here? You see, we, get, we make such a big deal. Okay, I'll give you this. He's going, well, how about I just smack that out of your hands? Because I don't want that either. Come here. I want you. That's what it is, guys. That's what it is. He goes, well, that thing will hurt you. That's, and actually, it's hurt me too. I don't want it. So let's throw that away and come to me. <laughs> this is not my phone. Sorry, boss. <laughs> Thank you, sir. He didn't buy your sins. He ransomed you. He redeemed you. He redeemed you. Now we're back to this. You hearing this? Think about some implications here, guys. He redeemed you. In other words, his point was not to get rid of something. His point was to bring you close and to take you out of those situations and bring you back into the kinship, bring you back into the family circle, bring you back into his home. You remember that whole, like, uh, um, people talk about, like, what's your mansion going to be like in heaven? And there's all kinds of, like, great, you know, really obvious jokes that you can see a mile away about, you know, what's going to happen in your mansion in heaven. <laughs> but then you've got this other, th- th- this, this other idea, and it was, uh, well, I can't help but think since we were talking about 90s Christian bands, the It's a Big, Big House song. You remember that with lots and lots of rooms? Remember? And now all you guys are going to have that song stuck in your head. But let me tell you, that's a whole lot more accurate than the idea that you're getting your own mansion because that's not the point. That's just appealing to your materialistic Western worldview here when you say that. The idea is that you're going to his house. And it's a big, big house. (laughs) Do you see the difference? This is not about you suddenly going, oh, a fresh start. Now I can do something amazing. It's not about that. He's going, no, another fresh start for you. You're not going to do something amazing. You're just going to end up right where you are. So how about we just get rid of that other stuff, and how about you come home with me, okay? That is why Jesus came to the cross, guys. That's why. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Can't help but think of poor Job. Yeah, Easter morning, and we're talking about Job, right? Let me just depress you all for just a minute. Job, Job had a lot. He had everything going for him. He was a wealthy man. He had a great family. Um, you know, he had, he had the whole deal. He had thriving business, and everything was suddenly lost. It was all gone. And then, to make matters worse, he gets really, really sick. And he's in serious pain and agony. And then, just when you think things can't get any worse, his friends come over. (laughs) If you've read the story, you just want to smack these people. And there's so much you can learn about what not to say when people are going through a hard time. The best thing they did is not say anything for the first few days. That was the best thing they did. But then they start yapping. And here's what happens right before this. This guy's just going up. Well, Job, here, all I'm saying is that this is what happens to wicked people. And so, I mean, I don't know. But here, I mean, you lost everything. I'm just saying. That's what I, 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 hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I hate that phrase so much. Job finally has it. And he says this. I, 
I like this. He says, uh, oh gosh, and I went one too many. Go back. He says this. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were in, uh, inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Okay, so he's saying this. Okay, listen. I'm about to say something to you guys, and I don't want you to forget it. <laughs> I want this to go on record. Are we on record? You. We on record? We on record? Okay. You. We, we, okay. Listen. Here, I want to, I want to, can we just, can we get a, st- no? Okay, but you're hearing me? Okay. And by the way, I love that it was written in a book, and it does last. Isn't that kind of cool? Job got his wish. I wonder if an angel was on assignment going, can we make that happen? I'll make some, make some phone calls. I want that to be written in the book forever. So listen to me, you jerks who are accusing me of all this stuff who are supposed to be my friends. I want you to listen to me. You can say whatever you want about me. You can accuse, you can, you can speculate and all this, but I'm telling you one thing. My Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. I can't tell you what, I can't explain what's going on to me right now. There's a whole lot of questions that you have for me that I can't answer. And you can just keep on yapping away while I'm wasting away. Thanks very much for that, by the way. You at least got some stinking chicken soup. But you can keep on going. And here, you're not going to dissuade me of this. My Redeemer is alive. And even if I die, he's bringing me to his house, okay? So I, I don't know your answers, but you're not going to ruin my faith. So shut your mouths. Come on, Job is cool. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. You see, going to the cross was was stage one. And yes, he was taking away the sin. He was taking away the punishment of the sin. But if it stops there, then we're left to cycle around over and over again to end up going, wretched man that I am. That's where that's going to lead. But it's so different if your Redeemer lives again. My Redeemer lives. That's why we're here. We're not here because Jesus Christ died. We're here because he lives again. You see, we could be having a funeral every year for 2,000 years, but I'm pretty sure people will get tired of that. We are here to celebrate the fact that he came back alive again and that that power over death can bring us back to him. And all the sin, all the stuff that was in the way has now been slapped out of our hands. He doesn't want them. He doesn't want us to have them. And it gets them out of the way and we can run into his arms and go back home with them. That's the entire point. I admit, the culture around us is not going to get this. They don't get this. Started out by saying, I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that my Redeemer lives. The culture thinks we're idiots for that. Did you know that? They're never gonna understand this, but here's the thing. The culture's obsessed with material things, you know? They're obsessed with material things uh, along with added in, peppered in, a bunch of snark and sarcasm and 140 characters or less. That's where we're at right now. All, all our culture, guys, is so unbelievably shallow. 
unbelievably shallow. We are obsessed with the things that we see on the new shiny, whoa, look at that. It's unbelievable. The, the, the stuff that was, that was scorned a year ago today is accepted and embraced. And the stuff that was accepted and embraced as lovely is going, oh my gosh, is that lame? That's what our culture does. We just go back and forth, and we're, we're, like, we're like the dog on the movie Up, you know, squirrel! We're like that. We're, hey, we're obsessed with material things and flashing things, and we're so, inc- we, we, our, our culture, they, they're not going to understand spiritual things because we never stop to contemplate them. And they try to define everything and run them through a grid of, of like philosophical materialism, that materialism is all that exists. And so you talk about the supernatural, and they go, can you prove it scientifically? I'm like, no, of course you can't, because it's supernatural. Do you understand this? I don't understand. We're talking about, is there something beyond the natural? So, of course, why in the world, why, why I don't understand, oh. Don't try to get in those kinds of conversations. It's so, it, you end up chasing your tail. And the more you do it, the more it like gets, gets people worked up. Go, ah, see, see. It's, it's unbelievable. I believe in a God who spoke the universe out of nothing. I, I, I don't care. Uh, this, this, this culture has no moral compass and, and they, they have no directions anyway. Even if they had a moral compass, they, they would be spinning around going, what does this mean? So the fact that our culture thinks I'm an idiot, I don't care. I really don't care. Now, now I could defend myself. I really could. I, could. I could say a lot of things. I could talk about the historical case for the resurrection, and it is a strong one, friends. I could talk about the fact that the tomb really was empty, and this was extremely inconvenient for everybody who hated Jesus. All they would have had to do is parrot him out and go, oh, we got him. We got him. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of kids came in trying to paint a mustache on his face. We got him. They would have they paraded his body out, but he wasn't there. He was not there. Well, maybe the disciples took him. And I could talk all about that too. How is it that all of his disciples end up going to these horrible, violent deaths and never recanting? They say, I don't care. My Redeemer lives. I saw him. I saw him dead and I saw him alive. My Redeemer lives. So go ahead. Chop me right here because I'm looking forward to see him again actually. Here you go. Should I lean my head forward more? Yeah, you go ahead and do me that favor. And God bless you, brother. There's all kinds of wonderful reasons to believe and scratch your head. I love reading C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, and he's this hardened atheist at Oxford University, and he's, he's, he's you know, just, he, he thinks Christians are so backward, and he hears one of his friends walk in one day and go, huh, there's a lot of evidence for that resurrection. It almost makes you think it could have happened, and at that point, he freaks out inside. He's like, if he's not safe, then who is? <laughs> and he starts looking at it, and he goes, oh, dear, oh, gosh. This might actually be true. And he comes into the kingdom kicking and screaming. And he says, I cannot, I cannot deny what I'm seeing here. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. I could tell you story after story about that. There's all kinds of other things. I could talk to you about the, the, the historical case for how the church continues to somehow overcome persecution time and again when it has no business doing so. He's talking about the persecution of Nero, the persecution of the subsequent emperors trying to snuff it out totally and completely. And what happens? Somehow, somehow, they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their sacrifice. 
You can talk, we could bring it into modern times. We talk about just 50 years ago when Mao Zedong was trying to rid China of any, any glimpse of Christianity, trying to set himself up as a tyrant god. And what's happened today, it hasn't worked. In fact, there's probably the largest Christian population in the world in China. And the, the thriving, the, the world's most thriving revival that's ever happened, that should not be possible. There's something beyond natural about this. There is a power that comes from a place we cannot see, and I suggest to you, friends, that it's from the resurrected Christ. We could talk about miracles. We could talk about philosophy. We could talk about so many things and reasons why I look and say, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable looking like an idiot before all these people. I don't even care. In fact, I think we should be more comfortable with, be, with looking like idiots, you know? Let's stop trying to look into, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not quite like that extreme. Like, no, no, I mean like, yeah, I mean like maybe some things, but, you know, still, who cares? Who cares? I'm fine looking countercultural to people who just want to look cool and fit in with some little hipster group that they're getting together. I'm so tired of it. I could talk about so many reasons why I believe in the resurrection, but I'm not going to talk about any of those things. I'm only going to talk about this. There's a spirit inside me that cries, Abba, Father. How is that there? The spirit of Christ. The spirit of the risen Christ is inside of me. And I'll tell you what. I have all kinds of times that are difficult for me. I have all kinds of failures, all this stuff. But let me tell you, even in the worst of times... I can look inside and close my eyes and I can feel hope rising up in me again. And I've been through some stuff just like everybody else. Used to have an easy life, then I had children. (laughs) I love you, Jenna. There are times, there are times when I've been broken to the core. I remember handing my son Samuel over to a surgeon to get his most vital organ cut open and repaired when he was six months old. That wasn't a really great time. But you know what? The peace of Christ somehow rises up inside of me and witnesses your son's going to be okay. And I was so okay that day, I opened up a spy novel and sent out a few texts Drank Pete's coffee for three hours going, I should be stressing out, shouldn't I? There isn't Christ inside, given the peace that passes understanding. I felt a lot of stuff, guys, just like you. I've had crises, I've had a lot of stuff happen. But you know what? He's there, and my spirit witnesses. That's your dad, and he loves you, and he hasn't left you. See, this is what the cross of Christ is about. It's not about him grabbing your sins. It's about him grabbing you and saying, come with me. And is it a fresh start? Yes, but see, it's different than your New Year's resolution kind of fresh start because this time he's with you. Do you see the difference? He's with you. He's brought you home. See, I am now home living in his mansion. And do I make mistakes? Yes. And I'm so, so far to go. But I'm telling you, I can get up and I can take his hand and we can take a new direction because I'm living with him and he's living inside of me. And that's why I believe in the risen Christ. I'm telling you, friends, he didn't stay dead on that cross. Maybe this makes no sense to you. I don't know. 
Well, maybe it does. Maybe there's something inside. I think there's a lot of people, really, who come to Jesus in the church, and they love the idea of getting off the hook for their sins. Um, and we all do. That all sounds great. Because we all, deep down, know what we deserve. But he says, how about you come home instead? And I think a lot of people want to give him the sins, but don't want to move in his house with him. And I think not only is that incongruent, I think that hurts his heart, to be honest, that we would want to take the good stuff but not, not come with him, which is the great part of that. You know what I'm saying? Give me the easy part, but um, not the part when I, we have like real familial commitment here. I'm not sure that I want to be related to you. I just like the fact that you're taking my place. I, I really like that. I like that you can take my place. But and here's what I want to tell you. You're missing out. You're missing out on living with the most wonderful being in all of existence. You're missing out on times of peace in the middle of chaos around you because he wants to speak and whisper inside you, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right because I'm here with you. There's so many things that we miss out on because we take them for granted, especially here when we've heard so many things about his goodness in a place like America. But there's more for us. There's more for us. And right now, I just want to invite you guys. I want to invite you, those who have given him part of their heart, but not everything, to give all and to move in with him. It's a real simple thing to do, really. It's to acknowledge, you know what? I haven't really trusted. I've liked, I've liked part of it, but I really want to trust you and, and actually come home with you. And maybe there's others here who have never even done that ever. I'm going to give you the chance to do that because he's really good. I can testify myself. So we're going to pray a prayer together, but here's what we're going to say. Is you can decide whether you want to do this. It's this. Jesus, I, 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 I believe that you really did that thing. <laughs> I believe you went to the cross instead of me. And I say yes to that. And I say, yeah, I want to come home with you. I want to come home and start again with entirely new motivations, entirely new, uh, uh, entirely new start where you're the center instead of me. That's what we're going to do. You want to pray that with me? Let's do it. Jesus, I believe you went to the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave for me. Please forgive the wrong that I've done. Please give me a new start. At home with you. With you at the center. And not my own desires anymore. I lay myself at your feet. And I say, have your way. And I say, thank you for saving me. Amen. Can we have worship team come? Amen. Prayer servant team also, I'd like to invite you guys to come. If you need prayer for any reason or you want to flush this out some more, please, please, this is a wonderful opportunity because he's here. I don't know if you felt him here, but the Spirit of God is here this morning and he's alive. As ridiculous as that might sound, he's alive. He's alive and he's saying, come home. Come home. Amen. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for all the amazing things that you do. And we want to trust ourselves at a deeper level than we ever have. May we never forget what you've done. And may we take it with all the seriousness and severity and beauty. 
that you've given it to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.